0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will finish his message on God made from John 1 and 1 Corinthians 5, as well as Philippians 2. This message and previous messages are available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: Because he was made sin for us. Look back on Isaiah 53. There's a word there that, uh, that, that appears five times in two verses. It's, 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 it's shocking. It's stunning when you read it the first time. Verse Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He, it's the word our. He says he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him where his stripes were healed. That means... Those were my nails. Those were your nails. That was my cross. That was your cross over there in Calvary. That was my death. That was your death. But he took it. Why? Because, verse 6, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep, we went astray. We turned everyone to his own way. That was our theme song. We were just like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. That's a theme song in hell. I did it my way. You know what the theme song is in heaven? I did it God's way. I did it God's way. And and so what is God's way? The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. It was laid on Him. Not just our sins. Not just the sins of the Jewish people. 1 John 2 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only. not, Not for ours only. But for the sins of the whole world. It says this tells us that the Lord set on him the iniquity of the whole world Isaiah 53 11 says he shall bear their iniquities he shall bear this tells us he was willing to have the Lord lay on him the iniquity of us all verse 12 he bear the sin of many now why did God lay all of our sins on him why did he do that Because in verse 11, again, going back to doing it God's way, verse 11, it says, by his knowledge, it's not your knowledge, it's not my knowledge, it's God's knowledge. And it's the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, by his knowledge, he knew that my righteous servant could justify many, many people, many, many. but For he shall bear their iniquities, by bearing their iniquities. That's the knowledge. So in other words, God says, I know how I'm going to justify lost sinners. Sinners who deserve hell. Sinners who are defiled. Sinners who rebel against me. Sinners who don't want anything to do with me. I know how to wash away all their sin through a righteous man. A righteous man. A truly righteous man. Qualifications, you see them at the end of verse 9. A man is required who's never sinned, who never did, who never thought, who never said any violent word or act. A righteous man who never thought and who never said any deceptive word. This this disqualifies, disqualifies every person. When I read, I say, okay, I'm out. It disqualifies because there's nobody like that. So a servant is required. Not just a righteous person, but a willing person. Willing to accept to have all the sins of man, all the iniquities of the rebellious, all the going astrays, all laid on him. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 8. God is speaking and explaining why. And he says, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He died for the sins of God's people and for all people. He looks on the sin and the rebellion of the Jewish people, and he says, even though they've sinned, even though they've gone away from me, they're still my people. I love my people. I want to save my people. I, want, I will lay down the life of my son for my people. Now, that's why it says in Isaiah fifty-three ten, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Why did God do this? You know, you keep your place here. In Isaiah 53 and turn back to 2 Corinthians 5 21, where we just were. 5.21, kind of looking at both places. Now look at it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Ah, Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For us. Isaiah 53:8, for the transgression of my people was he stricken, who knew no sin. Isaiah 53, 9. He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isaiah fifty three eleven. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Having saved us, everything comes to us with two words at the end of 2 Corinthians 5. It's 521. In him. Everything we have is in Him. We're not just saved and walk away and say, Well, that's very good. That problem's solved. Now where do I go? No, no. We are... This is a God to keep. This is a God to love. This is a God to be attached to forever. This is one where we run to the doorpost of His house and hold out our ear and say, Put the nail through. Mark me for life. I'm going to be yours forever. Now, we started off and we saw... The wonders of of what God made. He made the earth. He made the heaven. He made the wisdom. We saw that that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we close by a verse that actually, he didn't know, but Jeremiah quoted my verse. He didn't steal my verse. He quoted the verse. I mean, it was God who put it in his mouth. It's Philippians 2, 7 through 8. He says, he made the worlds. He was made sin. And Philippians 2, 7, he made himself. "...of no reputation, took upon him the form of a certain w- servant, was made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made everything, and watched as his man creation s- destroyed themselves in sin, and then knowing what the will of the Father was, he knew what the will of the Father was, who so loved the world, that he decided to ask God the Son, are you willing to have the iniquity of the world placed on you? You know, he could have said no. I mean, we talk so much about free will, the free will of man. You know, you know who also has a free will? God the Son. He's got a free will. He could have very easily said, no, no, no. He says, I won't do it. That's way too much to ask of me. Are you kidding? Have laid on me personally the sins I didn't do? Sins, awful sins, take that cup of iniquity. You want me to do that and be judged? I'm innocent, and I'm repulsed by it. No, I won't do it. I won't do it. He could have done that. He absolutely could have done that, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, he said just the opposite of that. If you turn to Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, you get his reply to when he was asked by, by, by the Father if he would go. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8 says... And you could almost hear the replies. Will you go for this and have the sins of the world laid on you? And then said I, lo, I come. Lo, I'm going. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Wasn't grudgingly like, all right, if I got to, I got to. After all, I got to have the reputation hold up. No, it wasn't that way at all. But he said to the father... Here I am with an eagerness. I'm on my way. I won't let you down. I'll finish the work that you gave me to do. I delight to do your will. That's my greatest delight. Give me the work, Father. Give me the work, and your work will become my work. I'll get married to this mission. I long to be able to come to you and to say, Father, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. John 17. That's my chief delight. I'm so much looking forward to it. I'll leave now, but I'll, I'll come back. I'll come back with, with, with crucifixion marks in my hands and a, and a spear mark in my side. But when I return, I'll take that hand with the crucifixion mark, and you'll see me go like this. I'll salute you, Father, and say, I did the work you gave me to do. I finished it. I kept myself clean. When I was in a filthy world, I kept myself sinless. And I poured out my blood, my soul unto death to save sinners. And all along the way of his life, he continually reaffirmed that commitment to his work. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he saw the cup of sin and he realized it all, and the struggle, it says in Matthew 26, he went a little further. He fell on his face. He prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass away, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as thou wilt. He could have, in that Garden of Gethsemane, at that moment, when he took, he turned, and he saw his disciples sleeping there during his struggle, he he could have said, they don't even appreciate what I'm going through for them. They don't even care. Why should I do this? I won't do it. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't. When he was struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have said, if there's no other way to take this cup, then I have to throw the towel in. I have to say, I, I can't. I can't. Do you know that that was a struggle there? That was the struggle that was on the line? He could have done that, but instead he said, I don't want to. My will is not to do this, but not my will, but thine be done. When he said that, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, he was saying, I. I feel the struggle. It's so present with me. I, it's right here, but I'm going to harness my will and say, now you submit to the will of the Father. That's what happened. He didn't give up in the garden. When he was arrested and Peter cut off the servant's ear, he said to Peter, Peter, thinkest thou not that I cannot now, right now, pray to the Father and he shall presently, presently. Right at this moment, give me more than 12 legions of angels. Why was he so quick to say that to Peter? Because it was on his mind. Because he was being tempted with it. He could have prayed. He could have said, he said, Peter, I can have more than 12 legions of angels right here to rescue me out of this. He, it, was, it was present with him, the thought. But he had harnessed his will. And he said, he could have said, I'm going to do that. I'm absolutely going to do that right now. And it's going to be over, and I'm sorry for you, but you know, this, the cost is too much. But he didn't. He didn't do that. During the scourging of his back, when he was being lacerated, he could have said, game over. I'm finished with this. This is too much, Father. Please send the more than 12 legions and rescue me out of this. But he didn't halt that. When they took him and they were driving the nails in, when they had him down there on the, on, on, on the floor, or on the ground, and that Roman was holding his, his, his arm and he was hitting, he didn't have to say, hey Antonio, I got a struggler here, let's get a little help. He didn't have to do, they didn't, uh-uh, one man was enough. Why? He didn't resist. He didn't resist. He didn't say, stop, this is too much. He says, he never opened his mouth. Like a lamb. When he was drying up of dehydration on the cross, he said, I thirst. He said, My strength is dried up like that broken piece of pottery I am looking at down there at the ground. That's me. He could have said, Stop, it's too much. But he didn't. He didn't. You know why? Because he made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself. He emptied Himself. He turned His back on all that He was, all His glory, all His power. He took off that robe of glory, put on a new robe, a robe of a servant, a robe of man. He humbled Himself, and He became obedient to the Father. Even when the Father asked Him to die on a cross for our sins. That's why it says in Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. He openeth not his mouth. No protest. You know why we worship him especially? Because he had a free will not to do it. And he chose to go all the way to the cross for you, for me. That's a great Savior. That's a great Savior. Closing, three verses to take away this morning. John 1, 3. All things were made by Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made Him to be sin for us. Philippians 2.7 He made Himself of no reputation. Now that's a great Savior.
0: Tom, it's been a wonderful message that we've had the past two days on how that God made. And you brought out the importance of those last two words from 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, in Him. Now, following that thought, what does the Bible say further or teach us about what we as believers have in Him? Those are great two words in him. Oh, we could just
1: go through the Bible and look for the in hymns, and we hold on to each truth that it teaches us. We just saw 2 Corinthians 5.21, that in him we have been made the righteousness of God. We have righteousness in him. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth In him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, what do we have in him? Salvation. The fact that we will not be sent to hell to perish. We have all of that in him. Great truth in John 1 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What do we have? We have in him our life, our everlasting life. We have in him our light. In a very dark world, our understanding comes from in Him. Acts 10.43 says, To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. We have forgiveness. We have the fact that our sins have been blotted out or erased in Him. Colossians 1.19 says, For it please the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. What do we have in Him? We find God in Him. Colossians 2.7 says, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. What do we have? In Him, we have stability of life. We were so unstable before we came to Him, but in Him, God has made us stable in the faith. Colossians 2.10 says, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We are so broken. We are so incomplete in ourselves. We just take one look at ourselves and we say, oh, what we lack. But in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have completeness. We have wholeness. And then we also find that in a very, very dark world, as we mentioned already, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So we find here that we have not only light, but no darkness at all in him. It's very interesting when you put all these together because you can take the opposite and you say outside of him from 2 Corinthians 5:21, we have no righteousness, certainly not the righteousness of God, but in him we have the righteousness of God. Outside of him from John 3:16, we have no salvation at all from the coming judgment, but in him we have salvation to be saved from the wrath of God in hell. Outside of him, according to John 1, 4, we have no life. That was given to us also in 1 John five twelve, where it says, He that has the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. So outside of the Son, we have no life, no life at all. But in him, we have life. Outside of him, there is no forgiveness of sin. No forgiveness. Doesn't matter how many old ladies we help across the street. It's not going to buy our forgiveness. There's only one way to have forgiveness with God. And that is, in the words, in him, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. From the Colossians 119, we say we don't find God outside of Him. Outside of Him, we stumble around in the darkness and we grovel, but we do not find God. But in Him, we perfectly find God. In Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. As far as stability goes from Colossians 2.7, we said that in Him, we are stable, but outside of Him, there's no stability. How can there be a stability of life outside of the one who is our stability? Outside of him, there's just a walking around in darkness until death all of a sudden and by surprise ends the life that we know. So unstable. And then according to Colossians 2.10, as we mentioned, where it says "Ye are complete in him, outside of him. There is brokenness. There is incomplete. We look to ourselves. We don't have the patience of God. Why? Because without the Spirit of God, there's no fruit of the Spirit. And it's the fruit of the Spirit that we so much lack love, joy, peace, kindness. Those are the fruits of the spirit they come from the spirit and when the spirit is present inside there is the fruits it's very interesting that in romans it talks about the works of the flesh but then it doesn't talk about the works of the spirit it talks about the fruit of the spirit so what's the difference between works and fruit Very simple. The works of flesh is like what we make. We're a big factory. We are manufacturing the works of the flesh, which are horrible things. But the Spirit gives us His fruit as a gift. Every time you go up to a tree, you didn't make that fruit that you take off the tree and eat. The tree gave it to you, so it's a fruit, it's a gift. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, and peace, we receive that from the Spirit of God. And all of the fruit of the Spirit that we receive that we don't have in ourselves, the love, joy, and peace, etc., makes us complete. So without the Spirit of God, without the in Him, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have any of those fruits. We are incomplete without Him. We are not whole without Him. We are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Outside of Him, there is no understanding of what this life is all about. So let me ask you, my friend— we're talking about the righteousness of God in Him. When you take a look at yourself, are you, do you have the righteousness of God, or do you only have your own righteousness? Are you in Him? Let me ask you about salvation. When you take a good, honest look in your heart, are you saved? Do you have salvation in Him? Now, if you say to me, well, I go to church, I didn't ask you that. If you, say to, if you say to me, I've been baptized, I didn't ask you that. If you say to me, but I read my Bible every day, I didn't ask you that. I asked you the question, are you saved? Are you in him? When you come to the question of life, let me ask you, my friend, do you have life? Do you have real life from God inside of you? Can you honestly say, I am alive to God inside? That only comes from being in him. When you come to the subject of forgiveness, do you have the assurance and have the knowledge that your sins have been forgiven? And as the Bible says, there's only one way for those sins to be forgiven, and it's in him. Are you in him? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? We've talked about that being in him is to find God. Have you found God? When you say God, when you think of God, do you know him? Is he a friend of yours? Are you his friend? Have you found God? You can only find God in him for the matter of stability. My friend, when you look at yourself and you look over your life, is your life stable? Are you in him? with the stability of God, or is your life just waiting for the next catastrophe to happen to knock you off your feet? When we talked about completion or wholeness, when you look at yourself, my friend, are you complete in Him, or are you just completeness and wholeness of just yourself alone? And for light and understanding, when you look at your own understanding, do you really understand? why you are here? Do you understand what God's purpose is for your life? Do you understand that all things are working together for good? You can only have that in him. So let me encourage you, ask the question, are you in him? And if you're not, it's a very easy problem to fix. Why? Because God has made it so easy that all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just reach out your heart to him. Just take the handle of the door of your heart, swing it open, and say, Lord, please save me from my sins and make me to be in him from this time forth and for eternity. I'll give my heart to you. I'll follow you. I surrender. I want to be in him. God will do it. Why? Because that's who God is. He's a God of love and tremendous compassion, and he wants you to
0: be in him. Thank you for joining us today. So have you made a decision to be in him? Would you let us know if you have made a decision with the Friendship with God program? Call us today at one 800 247 3051 Once again, that's one 800 We'd like to hear if you've made a decision to trust Christ and be in Him or if you would like to help someone else be in Him today with the Gospel, especially the lost Jewish people that you know and are friends with or have family members or co-workers We can help you to reach them or we can help you if you've made a decision. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051 Go to friendshipwithgod.org to get a copy of this message for free. Join us again next week